This morning, and this has been a word that the Lord has put on my heart for quite a while, and I've been really struggling with how to present such a word. It's kind of academic, but the essence of what God wants to say to us, I believe he has sent the word to really um, get to us in the core of our being. So I want you to turn to these particular foundational scriptures. I want to speak on the title of this message, Elements of Elevation. Just say that with me. Elements of Elevation. Say it again with me. Elements of Elevation. Turn your Bibles to Colossians, the third chapter. We'll go to Colossians 3. We'll also go to Psalm 19 and Psalm 50 and Psalm 97. We'll have the scriptures up for you because I do need to move kind of quickly. The book of 2 Peter can be dated between 64 and 67 AD, and it was probably written from Rome where early church traditions have it that the apostle was spending the closing years of his life during the time that this was written. Peter died a martyr in 67 AD, and this letter was written shortly before that. By the time he wrote this second letter, Christians were widely spread throughout Asia, Minor, Pontus, Galatia, Asia, Bithynia, uh, Bithynia. And some have noted that, the second, that this second epistle is addressed to a group of people that it is felt that Peter knew very well and who were facing specific false teachings. And word of their difficulties had reached Paul in Rome, and so he sent this letter to encourage them and warn them about the dangers that they were facing. In Peter's letter, was, he was emphasizing holy living, he was stressing sanctification, he was refuting the false teachings, and finally Peter reminds his readers of the imminent return of Christ. And so Peter's letter brought out some specific things. He, he had to assert his authority and the authority of the apostles' teaching because he realized the, what the church was coming up against, the, the doubts and the thinking that was in the people at the time about the validity of the apostles. You have to remember that by the time he was writing this letter, this was over 30 years removed from uh, Jesus having ascended into heaven, so uh, it was almost as if though you, you could say another generation was on the scene who didn't know the stories as well. They were getting the stories second and third hand. So the reality of Jesus having actually walked among them had begun to fade. And with all of the false teachings and things that were coming along, he found it very necessary to write a letter like this to the church. He points out to them that discipleship to Christ means putting away immorality. He warns them about the arrogance and the influence of the false teachers. He encourages them to preserve and remain faithful to the truths of the faith. And he encourages them to be patient because God has a reason for delaying Christ's return. You gotta remember, since Jesus had made that promise that he was gonna return, with this being 30 years later, they were thinking, okay, when's this gonna happen? Nothing's happened yet, so this must have all been a lie. This couldn't have been true, because this is 30 years, over 30 years later, and Jesus ain't come, ain't come back. Anybody ever received the word from the Lord and you thought it was gonna happen in your lifetime? And what happens to you, what starts happening in your faith and when you start realizing there are certain things, there are certain things that I may never see, but it still does not mean that the word of God isn't going to come to pass. 
So Peter, he points out these different reasons and he's telling them that they should remain vigilant even though the Lord's return is delayed, but it's still imminent. Imminent meaning it's definitely going to happen. He points and emphasizes today for us that it's still the same. And as we have traversed through this year in this church on the theme of agreement, I have found these matters to be difficult obstacles for many of us to overcome even today. The words of this letter so deeply touched me as I realized I was reading some of the last recorded words of this apostle. Probably the most precious and important words one speaks are the final words of their life. And listen as he says in this letter from verse 12, for this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent or in this body, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off this tent. He knew he was about to die, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter was writing with great passion and purpose at this point. He wanted his readers to believe his report so strongly that he even took them back to his own personal encounters with Jesus to assure them of the, of the validity of his calling and authority, as well as the certainty of the fulfillment of God's word. He, in verse 16 of that same chapter, Peter wrote and said, for we did not follow we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we're I, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So he went so far as to even tell them, I was there. I was there when God spoke from heaven concerning Jesus. And so we have the prophetic word confirm, confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in, in, dark, in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So he was making them to know that this did not originate with man. It did not start with man. Hold that thought because there are some things I need to say with you concerning the way we are today. There's a lot of things that we take for granted and we think it started with man but it actually started with God. Peter reflects back to his personal experience when Jesus took him, James and John, upon a mountain, and there he was transfigured in front of them, and God spoke out of heaven concerning who Jesus is. And Peter is telling his readers, I was there for myself. Even though this happened over 30 years ago, and many of you are new to this, or far removed from this, I was actually there, and I saw the promises of God fulfilled 
before my very eyes. Now I stand before you today with the same sense of Peter as my wife and I, along with other elders and ministers and teachers in this house, are preparing to be sent out to fulfill God's plan for Metro as a church planning church. I know that most of you are new to these things that we're talking about. You hear the prophecies and the promises, but you're far removed from their realities. And Peter was talking to a people who were 30 years removed. And for this generation, we are 2,000 years removed from these realities. So how do you communicate to a generation that cries out for understanding and desperately desires to walk in faith and assurance of God's promises? It's awfully difficult to walk in agreement when you're really not sure that the word that you're supposed to be agreed upon. And I've been asking God some tough questions. How can we communicate the truths of God's word in this day? He answered me so clearly when he showed me so openly that I couldn't believe that I had missed it. The answers were right in front of me. They seemed too simple to be real or solid. He simply said from Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows my handiwork. The same Hebrew word was used for heaven and firmament was Shamayim, which occurred in Genesis chapter 1. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, or Shamayim, which also represents the realm in which the sun, the moons, and the stars are located. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the, in, of the heavens to divide the day from the night from Genesis 1. And actually, you can go to Genesis, let me see, I got it on that slide from Genesis 1, started with verse 6. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Then thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day, and that word heaven was Shamayim, which meant that realm that would be just above the ground, or what we call the sky, all the way into what we now know as what we call the universe or space. I remembered from my favorite subjects in high school, science, chemistry, biology. Yeah, I'm one of those. I was a bit of a nerd in high school. <laughs> I remember from my studies that 75% of the universe is made up of the element hydrogen. Hydrogen. In all actuality, all of the physical universe is made up of elements. And I don't think I'm doing the scriptures an injustice by paraphrasing them and saying, the elements declare the glory of God. And the elements show his handiwork. How do you communicate to a generation that can't believe that Jesus was ever even here? He says, the elements declare his glory. So it's not a story just 2,000 years ago. Every day that I wake up, the elements are declaring his glory. And now bear with me for a moment as I delve into the world of elements. And for the next few minutes, it will appear to be academic and scientific, but it is a great source of faith anchoring reality 
if we have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit of the Lord is, is saying to the church. God desires that we live our lives in a higher spiritual reality. The everyday is real, but it is not the reality that God desires for us. We are elements of elevation, seated in heavenly places, in and with Christ Jesus. But there are some things that we need to see and understand about common everyday elements that are all around us. I'm going to talk about matter. I'm going to talk about atoms and atomic structure, electrons, protons, neutrons, use a word called valence, and the declaration that these things are making about God and his purpose and destiny for your and my life. First of all, we're going to talk about matter. Some of you remember from your studies in chemistry and science, you hated that stuff in high school, but you never knew it would one day come back at you standing and sitting in a church with a pastor standing up talking about this all over again. But there's some stuff that we ignored in school that if we had understood what God was really saying, that's what helped me to get through many of my studies. And that is, they were never detached from the reality of God. If I had to study that stuff and there was no body behind it, it would have been extremely boring for me that this stuff just haphazardly came together and stuff is just works out. But when it was attached to the person, when it was attached to a person, then it was automatically connected to a purpose. And therefore, since it had a purpose, then it had meaning to me. Anybody hear me today? So remember this, that all matter exists as either a gas, a liquid, or a solid. Y'all remember that stuff? <laughs> if it was a gas, it meant it had no definite shape, no definite volume. If it was a liquid, it had definite volume, but no definite shape. And if it was a solid, it has definite shape and definite volume. Now, most of all matter exists as compounds. So let's look at compounds. Compounds are combinations of elements. In other words, compounds are made up of elements. Elements are made up of atoms. Atoms are made up of subatomic particles. Say it with me. Compound, element, atom, subatomic particles. Boy, isn't this wonderful today? Don't you feel like you're in school today? Yeah. <laughs> Some of you said my brain locked up every time I got into this in school. But isn't it amazing? Come on, just sell yourself right now. Say, I'm, God, there's something you're trying to speak to me. And isn't, see, there's not a grade attached to this. My life is attached to this now. So, Lord, I thank you now for opening up understanding where some of us, our brains locked up when we heard this the first time. And we barely got through with a C and a D and a F. <laughs> that today we're going to hear your reality today. Out of the elements, science tells us that there are 92 that naturally occur. Hydrogen, helium, sulfur, carbon, uranium. I will not go through the list. There are 26 short-lived or artificially yield or uh, made elements. So there's a total of 118. And 25 of the 92 elements are essential to life. Now the Earth's mass is predominantly six elements. Oxygen, sulfur, magnesium, iron, aluminum, and calcium. 
The Earth's mass is predominantly six elements. Let's move on to atoms. Atoms are the chemical building block of all matter. Remember that. So the structure of atoms, atoms were made up of electrons, neutrons, and protons, and their arrangements determine the unique <laughs> behavior and attributes of the elements. Atoms are composed of particles, subatomic particles, and the most stable of those particles are neutrons, protons, and electrons. They got other stuff, new, but I won't get into those other ones. It's, it's because they're not as stable as these. You can move to the next one. So this is basically, they call this the Bohr's model, uh, basic design of an atom. It has a nucleus in its center, it's stationary, and there are protons and neutrons that are inside the nucleus, and then there are electrons that orbit or move constantly around the nucleus. All right, move to the next one. Now the key to electron structure, electrons are negative in charge, and they're in constant motion. Also, electrons are in an orbit around the nucleus. I mentioned that, but here's the next key. Chemists sometimes refer to these orbits as shells. And electrons in the outermost shell, they call it the valence electron. And the number of electrons in that outer shell, that's what determines an atom's ability to chemically react with other atoms. Am I doing okay, all you science people? Am I doing okay? All right, you can move to the next one. So man discovered, it's amazing to me, I, got, I really have to say this, because we, we have taken for granted for a long time that man has a lot more ability and power than he really does, but actually man discovered that a hydrogen atom looks like that. Man didn't create it, he discovered, can you say it, yeah. I actually need to take the time to say that. So man discovered that a hydrogen atom is basically one proton, one neutron inside the nucleus, and there is one electron that orbits around it. And it's a colorless, odorless, tasteless, flammable gas, and it occurs, it occurs as a diatomic molecule, meaning they always occur in pairs. That's why you'll see the term H2, so you never really see a hydrogen uh, atom by itself. You'll always see it combined with another atom, so there will be, always be a pair. If you can look way down into the subatomic levels in a the, in the microscope, it would be, always be paired up. Its atoms consist of one proton, the nucleus, and the one electron. And like I mentioned earlier, it represents about 75% of all of the matter in the universe. Wow! Now, you can move to the next one. When God added one electron and one proton, a new element with new properties was created. And man discovered that that was called and named it helium. Then God added one electron and one proton, and a new element was created, and it was called lithium. When God added another proton and another neutron, it's just amazing to me that all God had to do was just simply add another electron in the orbit and it totally changed the properties, totally changed what that atom, what, what it could do. It even created whole nother systems. In other words, some changed from being a gas to it was a metal and all God did was add it one more electron. 
added a proton and it went from being a gas to a metal. Isn't God awesome, y'all? Yeah. <laughs> Go to the next one. God added another one, and that created what we now call today boron. Added, go to the next one. Here's the one we're probably all most of us are mo most familiar with, carbon. See the structure? Oop, oop, there you go. See the structure? Got the nucleus, two electrons in the first shell, and that's the maximum that any, any, any atom will ever have is two electrons in the first shell. You will never find an atom that has more than two electrons in the first shell. God is, you can't tell me that this is random, that there isn't somebody behind this. And so when God had four electrons in the outer shell of this particular atom, it created an element called, that we call today carbon. Man did not make this. I gotta keep saying that because there are things that we've been giving man credit for. Man didn't make carbon, he discovered it. Somebody say, give God praise, yeah. I'm still talking about the elements declaring his glory. Move on to the next one. God adds another fifth one, and we know that today is nitrogen. Go to the next one. He added a sixth one, and we know that one today is oxygen. Here's an awesome statistic. Oxygen makes up 21% of the air and 46% of the weight of this planet is this element, oxygen. Look at somebody and say, that's heavy. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. <laughs> Move to the next one. This one has seven electrons in its outer shell and it's known today as fluorine. Go to the next one. This one has eight. And now it has the maximum level, the maximum amount of electrons that a shell could have is eight. From this point on, when God adds electrons, he always starts another level. Go to the next one. So immediately starts another level. And we know that today is sodium. And so if I were just progress to that, you would constantly see that progression of another level being filled and then starting on another level. Another eight would get filled, then start on another level. God's always progressing. It's an awesome thing when we look and see how God is moving. So do you see the pattern? Every time God speaks, something is added. And when something is added, a new element with new properties was created. Some elements are more stable than others, meaning they have varying chemical reactions with other elements. The most stable elements, the most stable elements, very good, have their outer shells filled with the maximum number of electrons that a shell can hold. In the case of the first two, hydrogen and helium, the maximum that they could ever have is the, uh, the maximum they would ever have is one level because they they, they're, so, they're so small. So hydrogen only has one electron, helium has two, and so it'll never have anything higher than that. So they're 
shell, helium shell is filled with the two electrons. But everything else, their outer shell, the maximum they could ever be filled with is with eight electrons. The number of electrons in the outer shell, called the valence, determines how reactive that element is with other elements. You can go to the next one. So let's look at how a couple of elements combine to establish some very familiar compounds. You'll like this one. An oxygen atom, we looked at that earlier, has six electrons on its outer shell, two on the inner shell. It has six protons, I'm, I'm sorry, it has eight protons in its nucleus because it has a total of eight electrons surrounding it. So if you take an oxygen atom and you combine it with, push, push the button for me, an hydrogen, yeah, look at what happened. The hydrogen atoms share their outer electrons with the outer shell of the oxygen, and something special happens. Hit the button. You'll love this. H2O, water. Now, I want you to know something about hydrogen. Hydrogen is some pretty dangerous, explosive stuff. The first airships that they used to build was made with hydrogen. Anybody ever seen those pictures, pictures of the Hindenburg? It was a hydrogen blimp that blew up. <laughs> That's why the blimps that you see today use helium, because helium is a stable element. Because it has two electrons in its outer shell, it is stable. It has the maximum amount of electrons in its outer shell that it can hold. So therefore, it makes it a stable element, meaning it's very slow to react with any other elements, and it isn't flammable. A gas that isn't flammable is called a noble gas. Isn't that awesome? Because most time when we think of gas, we think of, we just hear the word gas, and we think blow up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you have seen children take helium out of a balloon and, you know, breathe it in so they can make their voice sound funny. You know why you weren't scared of your children doing that? Because helium is a noble gas. It's not going to blow up in your children's face when they're playing with helium balloons. <laughs> but how is it that something like hydrogen, as explosive as it is, when it goes through what's called combustion, with an oxygen atom, it becomes what we know as water. Because the elements declare the glory of God. Somebody give God praise. Here's another one. Sodium combined with chlorine makes what we call today table salt. Tell you a little bit about chlorine. They used to use chlorine, it was in World War I and World War II, for gassing the enemy. In particular, Hitler's people used it to gas whoever they fought. Releasing chlorine to burn and irritate the eyes and breathe that stuff in and it's just a matter of time before you're gone. So how can you take something as horrible as chlorine and combine it with a sodium, and we can now eat it. 
because the elements declare. Somebody give God praise. The glory of God. God makes the elements so precise and specific in their designs and purpose that man has been able to discover and categorize the known elements. And by setting them up in periodic tables and formats, man can anticipate specific, you can go to the next one, man can anticipate specific reactions and combinations. Jesus makes this astounding statement from Mark 13, 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Listen to this closely. With all of the awesomeness of the firmament and the precision of the elements and the incredible but predictable changes that take place when elements come together to form compounds, Jesus says that all of this will pass away, but his word will never pass away. So nothing is more sure and definite and permanent than his word. So what elements of your life are too difficult for God? What compounds has he promised would come to be? But when you look at your circumstances and situations, they look like hydrogen and they look like chlorine and you don't see how it's gonna to amount to anything worthwhile. But every time you look at a glass of water and you see the miracle of a couple of explosive hydrogen atoms that change their properties when combined to the heaviest gas on the planet and two different atoms of gas turn into a liquid that is essential for all of life, there's your living proof that God's word is true for your life. Every time you shake some salt onto your food and realize that a gas called chlorine that is dangerous to breathe and burns your eyes, but when it comes and combines with a metal called sodium, they form a substance that we can use to season our food or spread on cuts and bruises for healing or preserve meat from spoiling. You are looking at the assured word of God in action. Because the firmaments declare, the elements declare, the compounds declare the glory of God. Allow me to show you how the same scientific statement makes a declaration of the glory of God displayed by the firmaments. God's word and God's promises. Elements of God's word combine in very precise ways that are recurrent and predictable. The same statement that I just made about the elements I'm now saying about the word of God. Elements of God's word combine in very precise ways that are recurrent and predictable. When these elements combine together, the concept of what's called emergent properties applies, which means the creation of a new property in a compound. I'm not saying God doesn't change and his word doesn't change. So what are the compounds that change? My life, my heart, my marriage, my family, my ministry, my business. When the elements of God's word are combined with the messes of my life, anybody hear me today? Then something supernaturally happens. So this destroys the lie that God's word don't work. 
This destroys the lie that you're only hearing the personal opinion of a preacher. This destroys the lie that what applies to one person doesn't apply to another. You know when you go to work and sometimes even your family members say, well, that's just your, that's just your religious belief and that's, that's just your Jesus. No, no, no. It works for you. They may say it works for you, but it don't work for me. Don't make no difference whether you believe it or not. God's word. He, Jesus said, everything else going to pass, but my words never pass. Never pass. And it's more sure than when two hydrogen atoms come together and it, it's with oxygen and it makes water. It's more sure than what it takes to make salt. Somebody give God praise today. Bless you, Lord. So now listen to Peter's letter in our day and time as he says to a church struggling with false teachings and living in a time when the reality of Jesus seems far removed from their day and from the day-to-day -day realities of life. In verse 5 he says, but, but also this, for this very reason, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will, neither, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. So I applied this concept to our lives and the element of atomic structure to our lives when I lined up this passage of scripture, so I applied this concept to our lives of atomic structure, and when I lined up this particular passage, it looks like this. When Jesus came into our lives in the person of the Holy Spirit for the first time, we received our first positive charge, because he is the proton in the nucleus of our lives. Me and my will must remain like the neutron, which offers no charge so that the only charge emanating from my nucleus is Jesus. In John 12, John, I mean John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The word for power is permission or authority. So therefore you receive your first electron. And at this point, you look like the hydrogen molecule. Can you see that? You have authority, and you look like a hydrogen molecule. Go back. Go back one. Go back another. There you go. All right. One more. There you go. Now you look like a hydrogen molecule. Can you see that? You got your first electron in your first level. Remember where I showed you what the hydrogen molecule looks like? You're quite explosive. <laughs> As hydrogen, you are powerful, even with natural gifting. But you need to be stabilized, and that's why hydrogen molecules, hydrogen, hydrogen atoms actually exist. They occur as hydrogen molecules, meaning they're always joined. They are always joined. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So when you get saved, 
said, why do I need to go to church? Why? Even the firmament declare his glory. Hydrogen exists joined. And when you get saved, that, that's what you look like, a hydrogen molecule that must be joined. Somebody say, yes, Lord. Then the next step, <laughs> anybody receiving some chemistry lesson today? Then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The word for power is energy or force or ability. Go ahead. Yeah. Now you look like a helium atom. You got authority and you got ability, but now you're stable. You're a noble element. Somebody said, thank you, Lord. Come on, give God praise. Now, when you look at the element helium, helium makes up a tiny proportion of the atmosphere, as much as 7% of natural gas, and it's used as an inert gas in welding. It's used in rocket propulsion. It's used for balloon flights, helium balloons, like the Goodyear blimp. is used as part of deep sea diving in their tanks, luminous signs and cryogenics. So once you receive the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit, like helium, you have properties that bring stability, safe travel, wisdom to go further, go deeper, go higher, see in the dark, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Sometimes spirit-filled believers run the risk of complacency, though. So you know what? God's always going to take you to another level. Go to the next level. <laughs> Elements of elevation. So you got your authority. You got ability. Now hit the button for me. God's going to take you to another level. Somebody say the next orbit is starting. And the first thing that we see on the next orbit, go ahead and hit it for me. Faith, which is starting off with the truths of God. I don't just want to just say faith in general. Let me be very specific. When we look at Peter's letter, he said, add to your faith. So we start with the faith. This is the foundational truths that you received when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And we also mean the walk of faith that must begin. Here we teach on insight from God, agreement with God, and obedience to God to define the walk of faith. So now you look like the atomic structure for lithium. It's a soft, white, lustrous, and, but it's a very reactive metal. The metal is used in certain alloys and in nuclear reactors. It's a source of hydrogen. It absorbs carbon dioxide. So these properties, stepping out in faith, stored power, potential energy, it keeps people encouraged, moving on so that they don't get stuck. And here's an awesome thing about one of the compounds that lithium, in fact, lithium combines with carbon, to, and it's called lithium carbonate, and it's an important drug for treating depression and chemical disorders. So the walk of faith, walking in the truths of God's, of his word, walking in agreement with God, insight, agreement, and obedience to God. God has essential agreements that he needs even for emotional and mental stability. Anybody say, God, thank, thank you, Lord, for, for thank you. 
Go ahead and add the next one for me. Peter says, add virtue. Virtue is excellence. It's moral excellence in character, in attitude, in disposition, at work, in academics, in your career, in your relationships, marriage, family. Now you look like beryllium. Beryllium exists chiefly as the mineral beryl, which you can find in emeralds and aquamarine. These are gemstones. Isn't that amazing? So by adding virtue, you get some of the essential elements that are necessary for gemstones. Not just to be on display, but to be lived out. So Lord, Lord, make me one of your gemstones. Thank you, Lord God. One of the interesting things about beryllium is that it's oxide, beryllium oxide, another one of its compounds, compounds or combinations. It's soluble, but if, in, but in, if you were to drink it, it's, it's distinctly sweet to drink, but it's toxic. It'll kill you. You say, oh my Lord, what does that mean? The flesh. Because if I'm going to walk in this moral excellence, in this new standard, somebody say, the flesh has got to die. It's, it's, it's toxic. It's sweet to drink. Because we love talking about virtue. I can't tell you how many times I heard, I won't get on your sisters. I say, I want to be a virtuous woman. Well, it's going to be sweet to the mouth. But it's going to kill you. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Y'all didn't say amen on that. Say, I want, I want to be virtuous. But it, it tastes sweet to drink it. But to live it out, look, just look at your sister and say, it's going to kill you, though. <laughs> it's also used as a catalyst. Catalysts are those agents that are a part of making those changes happen, but they don't actually change themselves, and they're really not a part of, they don't, they don't mix in with the, with the combination that's happening. They just simply make it happen, but they don't mix in. So beryllium is one of those ones that it can actually be a catalyst for our organic or living reactions. So it's not just the system. It's not just getting the right policies in place, the right procedures in place. If I could just hone down my craft, if I could just really pull myself together and really look good out front. No, no, no. It's a part of real life. So that's why this reactive substance works with organic or living material because it's not just systems and procedures and policies. So many of us, we feel like if we could just get the practice down, if I could just get everybody on, at the church or at the job or in the business to follow the policies and the procedures, we'll be okay. But no, it's more than just getting the procedures and the policies in place. If I could just get my wife to act right, but I don't want my wife, I'll just say, I don't want my wife to act right. I want her to be right. Anybody here? <laughs> Husbands, you don't want to just act right. Ladies, you don't want your husband to just act right. You want your man, your husband to be right. 
How do you know you got a man that will be right? Because he will tell you stuff about himself that he didn't have to tell you. That's a man that is right. Somebody didn't know what I mean. Said, be specific, Pastor Chris. All right, I'll be specific. Sometimes there have been things that have come between my wife and I in those times of intense fellowship. <laughs> you know how that conversation that starts off with, what's wrong? And you say, nothing. Well, we had a really intense fight, I'd call it, one time. And the conclusion of the fight came to the, I can't even get into what it was all about, but I told my wife, I said, I want to lose this argument. I can tell by the looks on the face, I go, what? <laughs> I want to lose this argument. There are some things that I just need to say, but I need you to tell me if what I'm saying, if that's really how it is. From your point of view, is that really what's going on here? That'll solve a lot of fights. Listen to me, gentlemen, real closely, because the point ain't who wins. The issue is that we are together. Anybody hear what I'm saying today? I don't know why I got stopped on this one. This is a precious, precious gemstone because it's not about just putting on an act. Because I can tell you, li listen to me, ladies, us men, we can act a long time. We can act like things are fine. We can act like everything is okay. We really can. I know you can too, but let me tell you, we are professional actors. <laughs> We can act like we don't hear you, act like we don't see you. Yeah, am I right, gentlemen? Y'all don't have to say nothing, but I know you are. I know the ladies will. <laughs> Can't we do it, brothers? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we can act. We can act. Yes, we can. But also, when stuff is wrong, when you've done things that have irritated us or hurt us, some of you don't even think in terms of your husband being hurt, but actually, the ego for a man is just as delicate and sensitive as the emotions of a woman. So when you hear that word ego, it does not mean pride. We're talking about it means the essence of who we are. So when you make that phrase, yeah, I just hurt your little ego, you just, you just took a knife and you just jabbed it all the way in because there's no such thing for a man as a little ego. It's us, and it's just as insensitive when men say to women, you're just so emotional. Now, you know how that makes you feel? That's the same way men are. But we know how to just act like everything is okay, even when that ego, the essence of who we are, has been hurt. So you've got a man that wants to be right when he comes and says, babe, that really hurt me. I don't know what you meant when you said it, but I don't know why you said it, but it hurt me. That's a man that doesn't just want to act right, he wants to 
speed right. And that's part of the elements that's necessary for that beryllium, for that gemstone, basic elements for the formation of an emerald. Somebody say yes, Lord. I don't know how I got off on that, but that was a side note. Somebody say yes, Lord. If it applies to you, just say, God, make me beryllium. The next one says, add knowledge. Now, knowledge, the truths or the facts of life that a person acquires either through experience or thought, the greatest truth that a person can possess with the mind or learn through experience is truth about God. Let me say that again. The greatest truth that a person can ever possess with their mind or through learning or through experience is their truth about God. And it is acquired only as God shows himself to people. He, and he shows himself in nature, as I'm talking about now. He showed himself through history. He's shown himself divinely. The word that the writers use is providence, where just sometimes God does things supernaturally to reveal himself, his reality to people. But the main one that we have before us today in which God reveals himself is his word, especially in the Bible. And when you add knowledge, now you look like the atomic structure for boron. Pure boron is a black, lustrous, but, and it's very hard and brittle. This element is used to harden certain steels, and it's also used as a semiconductor. Woo, boy, I could go so many places with this, but I will not. The exceptional hardness and the inertness of certain boron compounds causes its electronic structure to resemble diamonds. It makes it very useful as an abrasive. It's used as a reinforcing agent. And it's particularly good for when there's high temperature applications. Another way of saying that is when knowledge is added, now God is able to use you. He's able to sharpen you. Now, now some things can really happen because he doesn't mean making you abrasive but now some things can actually happen. Some things can actually get cleaned and straightened out and fixed up. Especially where it says that part of one of the ways that this is used is to harden. Can you imagine that? You thought steel was already hard and all? Actually, this is one of those elements that's used to make steel as hard as it is. So that in my walk, there is now actually some structure and some strength. So why do I need to know the Word of God? Because there's some structure and some strength that's going to come to my infrastructure in who I am. There's some things that the enemy is not just going to, it ain't going to be able to just lie dormant because the Word of God in me is going to be abrasive against sin, against immorality. So that even when nobody's looking, you know, who you really are is who you really are when nobody's looking. So even when nobody's looking, the word of God is still right there in that abrasion like boron. That don't belong here. I'm not comfortable with that here. Anybody hear the word of the Lord today? Say, Lord, just I'm adding knowledge. I'm adding knowledge. Go to the next one for me. He says, now add self-control. Self-control is control of one's actions or emotions by the will. The New Testament teaches that self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. 
The Christian is to be governed by God, not by self. In Proverbs 16.32, it says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. Now you look like carbon. Carbon is an awesome, awesome element. The study of, the var of carbons and its many compounds, here's one of the most unique things about it, is that uh, carbon actually forms more compounds than any other element. And that is because at this point in our lives, now let me take this to our lives, God wants us to bring us to a point where because of the self-control, I have ruled my spirit, now God can apply you in almost any situation with any combination of people and elements because you're not going to be swayed and moved and become judgmental and opinionated because I'm in a place where I can rule my spirit. So what they said and what they did, I can now separate it in here that what they said and what they did, it wasn't just against me. You know how Jesus is able to say, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. When this element of self-control is there, now God, he can entrust us. He can now entrust us in so many different combinations of people. He can take you from, Lord, how's this? From the church environment to hitting the streets to now corporate America or at Walmart take it and be at Bush Stadium and you're still able to interact and mix and mingle and you don't change. Anybody hear me today? Yes, Lord God. Next one. Add perseverance or steadfastness or persistence. Perseverance, the steadfast effort to follow God's commands and to do his work. The New Testament makes it clear that faith alone can save, but it makes it equally clear that perseverance in doing the good works is a great indication that an individual's faith is genuine. James chapter 2 talks about that. He says, show me your faith by letting me see your works. Wasn't saying that you're saved by works. He said, but I'll know if it's genuine by what I see. I'll see that persistence and that perseverance in you. Indeed, perseverance springs from a faithful trust that God has been steadfast toward his people. And as a result of perseverance, the Christian can accept not only, the, only to enhance the strength of the church, but also to build up strength of character. In short, Christians can expect to become closer to God. They learn that they can persevere primarily because God is intimately related to us. So now you look like nitrogen, a colorless, odorless, tasteless gas. It makes up 78% of the Earth's atmosphere and is a part of all living matter. In other words, it's persistent. It's everywhere, and it's there all the time. Somebody's going to say, God, i got to be that way. If it's 78% of our atmosphere, that's persistence. It's always there. You can't, there, there, at no point, God, I'm holding on. I'm going to be right here. God, I want to be where you are. One of the strong lies of the enemy is to cause us to feel like we're all alone and 
God's really not there or he's not going to be there. I vowed, I, I, I made promises, I made deals. And by that I mean sometimes we've made deals with God. You go, well, God, I'll do such and such if you do such and such. But you know what? God is looking for people that say, God, no matter where you, no matter, no matter what, I'm going to be where you are. I remember Pastor Ray's song that you wrote years back said, God, if you don't do nothing else, you've already done enough. Anybody ever felt like that about God? If you didn't do nothing else for me, God, you've already done enough. That's perseverance. That's God, I'm holding on because I believe God wants the people that are going to make up their mind that there ain't nowhere else to go. Do you feel, do you feel like I do? I ain't got nowhere else to go. I remember at a season and a point in our lives after my wife and I, we lost everything. I mean everything. House, cars, jobs, the works. Had to move back home with my mom and dad and had a baby with us. So, you know, feeling humiliated, embarrassed. Don't let the suit fool you. Thank the Lord for Elder Ted helping me get a suit. Yeah. <laughs> but it ain't always been this way. <laughs> Driving a car that we used to call the Flintstone Mobile because those of you who have seen the cartoon, the Flintstones, remember how they started it by their feet pedaling on underneath? Well, our floorboard was rotted out in the bottom of the car, so we called our car the Flintstone Mobile because you could see the street from through the floorboard of our car. So it ain't always been this way. But I remember making up our minds when we had to start all over again. God, we're going to do it your way. And if we mess up, I'm going to mess up because I was trying to do it your way. At some point, you got to come to a place where there ain't no backup plan. There is no backup plan. God, it's you, it's you, it's you. You are playing A, you're playing B, you're playing C. You're it. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else to try. And I'm telling you, you haven't seen the glory of God until you go there with him. I sense that some of you today, you're still like this. You're kind of trying to test, you know, there are some people, they want, they, before they jump in the water, they put their foot in and see if it's too cold. And No, no, that ain't how it works in God. It's, it's all or nothing. It's all, all, all. You know why we talk about tithes and offerings and all that kind of stuff in this house? Because it's all. We're not after anybody's money. Oh God, why am I going here today? We ain't going after nobody's money. But there's a place that God wants to bring you to. And as long as you're still trying to take care of yourself with your own finances, then you know what? Your resources are so limited. Because what'll happen is with the $1,000 a week or a month that you are making, then that's all the value you're going to get is $1,000. But I'm telling you, some of us need a whole lot more than $1,000 a month. And so you need to go ahead and take that $100 off of that 1000 put it in the work of the Lord, the plan of God, the design of God, and watch what he does with the value of your life. See, tithing... Tithing and giving offerings in the house of God does something in us in this perseverance. It, 
what happens is instead of your value being just simply worth $10 an hour, $15 an hour, because that's all the world can pay you is the salary that they've assigned that you've contracted with them. And so you're under contract with them and they're only going to pay you that. But when you step on over into tithing and offerings, you step over into the payroll of God. And God's payroll, it, do, it doesn't pay by the hour. Aren't you glad God doesn't pay by the hour? He looks at the purpose and the destiny that he put in you. And he says, now that you're stepping into my vision for your life, now I've got provision to make that happen. And so it doesn't matter if whether you need a thousand a week, a thousand tomorrow, ten thousand, a million, whatever it's going to take for that vision, you done stepped in my payroll. And there is provision for my vision. So I'm here to crush that lie of the enemy that is just to make the preacher's pocket fat. No, God's trying to get something done in the earth. And he's given us the honor and the privilege of participating in it. So he says, I'm going to test you. And if you take just right off the top the 10% and you give it back to me, I'll consider it as if though you gave me everything. I see that same persistence. You gave me everything. You don't have a backup plan. That's what he's talking about. Go ahead and lay your life down on the line like that. And why did God use money? I don't know, because money is actually the lowest form of wealth on the planet. But often where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. So even when you give your money into the house of God, your heart has really got to be toward God. Because if you're still trying to figure out, you could put it in the house of God, and now you're still checking out the preacher and seeing what they're going to do with it. That's, your, your heart still ain't. It ain't in the treasure in the storehouse of God. Right now, you're still in skepticism. You're still in doubt. And you still say, I'm, I'm happy about this because I'm, I'm, you, I know what God did with us. Without ever praying and asking for money, God totally changed my wife and I and our lives around. Living in my mom and dad's house, he even, made a, he even brought me to the point, stop asking for money. Just do what I said do. Don't ask me for no more money. Just do what I said do. Okay, Lord, I'll be faithful. We'll take what little bit we got and we're going to tithe. And then someone in, the, in our church at the time came to us and said, we're being reassigned to Germany. They were in the military. And we need somebody to take over the lease in our apartment. Step one. So we just, and there, there was me and my wife able to step in too, to just assume a lease without application, credit application, getting all getting turned down because you know when every, you lose your job and everything our credit was, y'all some of you are familiar with those eights and nines we had the eights and the nines and even with the eights and the nines God got us into an apartment and then you go like well maybe that was just coincidental but then another sister in the house because at that point it was just a one bedroom place and we had twins on the way and another sister in the house came to us and said, I'm going to move out of my apartment. It's a three-bedroom apartment, and you guys can just take over my lease. And so it happened. God did a verily, verily. He let it happen again. Again, he moved us into a place without, without having to come up with first and last month rent and going through a credit check and all that stuff. Anybody hear me today?
So you wonder why Pastor Chris stands up here and says, you don't need no money because we didn't walk through it. I need God. Because when I ain't got no money, I still got God. I still got him. Yes, Lord. Somebody in your career, you've been trying to get it going and different things that God has shown you that he wants to do in your life. But I don't know why he's stopping this message at this point just to kind of speak to you and say there's an element that he wants in you where there is no backup plan. God, I'm going to believe you and I'm going to do it your way. We just agreed and said if we, if we fail this time, then if we're going to fail because we was trying to do it God's way. And here's the thing about that. You ain't going to fail trying to do it God's way. The next one he said, add godliness, which is holy living. Just straight up holiness, y'all. Not the, not the denominational church meaning, but just living right, living clean before the Lord and before people. Here's the interesting thing. Now you look like an oxygen, Adam, and, and oxygen, as I mentioned to you before, makes up 46% of the weight of the earth, and it's used, especially when it comes to in medicine, it's used when they're giving people anesthesia. It's part of the gas mixtures that are used to clean environments. That's the main one. Oxygen keeps the atmosphere, the environment, pure. So why does God want us to live like oxygen atoms in this world? Because no matter where you go, how, how, what, how filthy is it at your job? What's the atmosphere at your, like at your job and in your home and in your community? Come on, oxygen atoms. We bring purity into the environment that we come into. And since our praise and our worship is like breathing, don't you know that's why we got to keep lifting up the praise? You hear Elder Johnny telling us every week, change the atmosphere. Let that praise in the work. Let that pure, that oxygen come up. Oh, and just change the atmosphere. All the pollution and stuff going on. It's time once again, turn the junk off the radio. Get rid of some of them CDs and them DVDs and stuff on the VCR that you got. And change the atmosphere. We've been called for holy living. Holy living. Are, are you talking about rules and regulations, Pastor Chris? No, I'm talking about an atomic structure that he put in our lives. And even creation declares his glory. The firmaments, the elements, and I know it's no coincidence that when the Lord showed me how to line this up on an atomic structure, that when it came to godliness, it represented oxygen, which was purity. The same thing. The firmaments declare his glory, the elements, and he's looking for that to come forth in us. Somebody tell the Lord yes today. Then he says, add brotherly kindness. With this one, you look like fluorine. <laughs> fluorine is very interesting. In fact, some of the places, I, didn't, I had no idea. You asked in the time, fluorine used as fluoride, you know, teeth and stuff that you keep the bones and the teeth healthy because actually the reason why they're saying brush with that stuff and use that stuff because that's, what, that's a, one of the elements that's actually in our bones and teeth. So look at somebody and say, brotherly kindness 
It's already in you. It's in your bones. It's in your mouth. It's the most reactive of all elements, meaning God intended for there to be reaction between one another. I can't stand him. I can't stand her. Okay, okay, brotherly kindness. Brother, it's already in your mouth. It's in your bones. And so when you don't want your bones nowhere near their bones. <laughs> Let brotherly, mama, dad, we were, we were raised on this one. Let brotherly love continue. When we didn't want to be nowhere near each other. Love you, bye. <laughs> but it's no coincidence that fluorine is part of the makeup that's already in our bones. Already in our mouths. Yeah, you can speak it. And yeah, we can live it. And the final one says, add love. And when you add love, now you look like neon. And it is one of the noble gases again. Reacts very slowly, if at all, to other elements. Neon is colorless, odorless, tasteless, and completely unreactive. When under pressure, it glows a bright orange red if an electric current is passed through it. Sounds just like 1 Corinthians 13. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, nor does it seek its own. It's not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. No coincidence that when you add this electron, love, it looks like a neon atom and neon atoms glow when under pressure not just under pressure but then you get an electric current through it anybody been under pressure and then get shocked too <laughs> antagonized along with it do you explode like hydrogen or do you glow like neon come on give the Lord praise And now that this level is complete, go ahead and run it. Here's an interesting thing that happens. God doesn't even start another list. Go ahead and hit it. Now it's faith just at another level. But faith at this level starts a whole nother list of elements. And this, when it's just faith, it looks like that's the sodium. And our Lord spoke to me prophetically, that's what Metro is right now, talking about agreement. The essential element for salt. Salt, the essential ingredient for covenant and agreement. So prophetically, where is Metro? Right here. Stepped into another level. Called out into something else. Okay, God, insight from you, agreement with you. We're going to obey you, Lord. But it's at a whole other level we've never been at before. And in order for us to walk this out, we got to have agreement. And you have made us and given to us the key ingredient for salt. 
to be made. Anybody hear the word of the Lord today? Come on, yes, Lord. Now you can run the rest of the list. Now it's just virtue at another level. Now it's knowledge at another level. Self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. It's all just, it's another, another level. But because we'll be moving in another level, then whole new properties of these elements will begin to come out in us. Yes, Lord God. So don't you doubt for one moment. Sister Jerry, you were right on it, even as you in your testimony today. Don't you doubt for one moment what God is doing, what's happening in your life. There's whole new things that are happening, whole new sets of properties and things that God's getting ready to bring out. Yes, Lord God, because there's other people that he's getting ready to join you with, join us with. Now there's a region, there's a city, there's a region, there's a state, there's a nation, there's a world. What will happen when God is able to take his church in these cities that are listed, in New York, in Kiev, in Bangkok, and they're joined together and they're connected in their various elements and they start creating compounds and properties and power and ability starts coming forth. The thing that I failed to mention is every time you add another, add an electron, there is also an increase of the protons in the nucleus, meaning the atom is just getting heavier and heavier with the glory and the anointing and the presence of God. In fact, by the time you get down to some of the really heavy ones where you get to uranium and stuff, oh, now we're talking about nuclear power. So why does God keep building on us and building on us? Because God's getting ready to make a bomb. Somebody tell the Lord, I want to be a part of the blowing up. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Yes, Lord. Come on, bless his name. Come on all over this room. Yes, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. God, as we hear your word to us today, here we stand beholding the awesomeness of who you are and what you have really begun and done in us. And I thank you, Lord God, for the faithfulness, for your faithfulness to us, your commitment to us to drive out every lie of the enemy that has dominated homes and hearts, brought weariness even in well-doing, those that would want to quit when they're right on the brink of another level. Thank you, Lord God, for the awesome bomb that you are creating here in our city, in our church, in our lives, in our families, in our homes. Somebody tell the Lord, I want to be a part of the blowing up. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Yes, Lord. Come on, bless his name. Come on all over this room. Yes, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. God, as we hear your word to us today, here we stand beholding the awesomeness of who you are and what you have really begun and done in us. And I thank you, Lord God, for the faithfulness, for your faithfulness to us, your commitment to us to drive out every lie of the enemy that has dominated homes and hearts, 
brought weariness even in well-doing. Those that would want to quit when they're right on the brink of another level. Thank you, Lord God, for the awesome bomb that you are creating here in our city, in our church, in our lives, in our families, in our homes. And Lord, we are committed to you. There are many hurts in this room I sense now. A lot of questions about if, why God has allowed so many things to go to the way that they have in your life. Some of the things that are happening to us, that most of the things that are happening to us are results of decisions, bad decisions that we have made. Many times the conflicts and the confrontations that we have with one another speak of the various elements that I have talked about. We've had some sodiums that have been irritated by the chlorines. And God's been trying to get us to see it's okay. There's something else that he's building here. And instead of the separating, that's why I started off reading the words of the Apostle Paul and, and Peter. They talked about what to add in your faith and really where to start in forgiving one another and walking in this level of agreement and unity. I haven't done this to try to be deep and all that kind of stuff, but really just to show the answer that the Lord gave me. I said, God, we're not seeming to get through. It doesn't seem like we're getting it, that you're just as real today as you were when you actually walked on the planet. And so for him to give such a simple answer, don't look at me, he just gave and he said, I've, I've been showing you every day when you're drinking water, when you're taking a breath, when you're pouring salt on your food, when you're washing your clothes, when you're spraying Windex on your window to clean it, you're using elements and things that you've been giving man the credit for making that stuff, for having that stuff available, but that was me. And everything that you've been using in everyday life has been declaring that I'm getting ready to do it in you. There's some elements I'm bringing together. So instead of looking across the room and getting irritated with that chlorine sodium, here's what actually happens. That sodium takes that one electron that it has in its outer shell and combines with the seven electrons on the outer shell of the chlorine and they share one another's burdens. Elements work because they share the outer shell. So there's no such things now that when Carol tells me what she's dealing with and what she's struggling with, there's no such thing as that's her problem. Her problem is our problem. So that in every area of our life, we can make some salt. God didn't call us together just to make babies. The making of a marriage is the making of covenant to ensure a godly heritage, to mirror and reflect Christ in the church. So come on, let's get connected with God's purpose for us being joined together. God, I thank you for the healing that's necessary for this house being imparted. God, I hear your words to us, prophetically speaking to us. 
Pastor, as I was sharing this word, I just heard this word for Metro, that the ingredients are right here. The sodium and the chlorine is right here. The oxygen and the hydrogen is right here. And all we've been, we've been, we've been blowing up, we've been blowing up, mixing up, doing everything but combustion, joining up. And yes, I know the chlorine irritates, but something's going to happen when the chlorine joins with the sodium. The properties are going to change. God, why do you keep taking me back to this? Oh, because one, one of the emergence of the properties is here's one of those things about elements that's always true. My God. When a metal combines with a gas, it always produces a solid. So even if God has to change the phase, what do I mean by phase? If he has to change it from you used to being a gas, floating around, being able to do whatever I want, no volume, no shape. Remember when I talked about phase of matter? I'm used to being a gas. And I can go anywhere and say what I want and do what I want, but when he joins you with that metal that's a solid, guess what, gas? You're going to have definite shape and definite volume. Part of what we've been struggling with is because we've been, we've, we, we're trying to avoid this next level that God's trying to take us to. Because many of us were used to floating from church to church. I can be, I can just be, but if you're going to be in part of covenant, covenant means you're going to be salt now. And salt means that you're going to be in a particular place for a particular time. No more floating around. You're not going to be floating around anymore. You're going to be in a place. All the hydrogens full of gifting and ability, you can either blow up the city <laughs> or you can light up the city. If God can combine you with some oxygen and make you into some water, and water is used to power elect electric motors and engines that produce electricity, Hydrogen, you could blow up a city, or you could help power a city. But the difference is who you're going to join, where you're going to join. Hydrogen can be joined with chlorine also, creates hydrochloric acid. You know what we use that in? Batteries. You could be used to just to store some energy, store some power, help get some things started in the things of God. Help power some ministries and some people, some homes, some families. But it's going to mean floating days are over. Go get a little bit of word here, a little bit of word there. Sing here, play there. No, no, no. Come on, hydrogen. Get joined up with the chlorine and let's make some hydrochloric acid. Now you're going to no longer be a gas. Now you're going to be a liquid. And even though you don't have any definite shape, you will take on the shape of whatever you're put in. That's the thing about a liquid. No, you don't have a definite shape, but you will take on the shape of whatever you put in. 
So it's going to take this submission to the will of God. Come on, because even the elements, the, even the elements declare his glory. And we are elements of elevation. Come on, bless the Lord today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, bless him. Thank you, Lord.